Do you believe that God orders the events in the lives of people to accomplish His plans? It's the LifeSpring One Year Bible coming to you from Riverside, California and podcasting since 2004. My name is Steve Webb and I'm your OG Godcaster. It's History Tuesday and we'll bring that category of the Bible to a close by completing the book of Esther with chapters 6 through 10. The website is lifespringmedia.com where you'll find over 3,000 episodes that I've produced over the years and I'll have contact information for you at the end of the show. Before we read, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you so much for our time together. I pray, Lord, that as we read today, you would touch our minds, touch our hearts, and teach us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Esther chapter 6 On that night the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Tiresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there, standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry! Take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai, and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. Esther chapter 7 So the king and Haman went in to feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish, and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, 
Who is he, and where is he, who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine-drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine, as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence, in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house, fifty cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. Esther chapter 8 On that same day King Xerxes gave the property of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, to Queen Esther. Then Mordecai was brought before the king, for Esther had told the king how they were related. The king took off his signet ring, which he had taken back from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai to be in charge of Haman's property. Then Esther went again before the king, falling down at his feet and begging him with tears to stop the evil plot devised by Haman the Agagite against the Jews. Again the king held out the gold scepter to Esther. So she rose and stood before him. Esther said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor with him, and if he thinks it is right, and if I am pleasing to him, let there be a decree that reverses the orders of Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, who ordered that Jews throughout all the king's provinces should be destroyed. For how can I endure to see my people and my family slaughtered and destroyed? Then King Xerxes said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, I have given Esther the property of Haman and he has been impaled on a pole because he tried to destroy the Jews. Now go ahead and send a message to the Jews in the king's name, telling them whatever you want, and seal it with the king's signet ring. But remember that whatever has already been written in the king's name and sealed with his signet ring can never be revoked. So on June 25th, the king's secretaries were summoned, and a decree was written exactly as Mordecai dictated. It was sent to the Jews and to the highest officers, the governors, and the nobles of all the 127 provinces stretching from India to Ethiopia. The decree was written in the scripts and languages of all the peoples of the empire, including that of the Jews. The decree was written in the name of King Xerxes and sealed with the king's signet ring. Mordecai sent the dispatches by swift messengers, who rode fast horses especially bred for the king's service. The king's decree gave the Jews in every city authority to unite to defend their lives. They were allowed to kill, slaughter, and annihilate anyone of any nationality or province who might attack them or their children and wives, and to take the property of their enemies. The day chosen for this event throughout all the provinces of King Xerxes was March 7th of the next year. A copy of this decree was to be issued as law in every province and proclaimed to all peoples so that the Jews would be ready to take revenge on their enemies on the appointed day. So, urged on by the king's command, the messengers rode out swiftly on fast horses bred for the king's service. The same decree was also proclaimed in the fortress of Susa. Then Mordecai left the king's presence, wearing the royal robe of blue and white, 
the great crown of gold, and an outer cloak of fine linen and purple, and the people of Susa celebrated the new decree. The Jews were filled with joy and gladness and were honored everywhere. In every province and city, wherever the king's decree arrived, the Jews rejoiced and had a great celebration and declared a public festival and holiday. And many of the people of the land became Jews themselves, for they feared what the Jews might do to them. Esther chapter 9 On the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. On this day the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. But now the tables were turned, and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities in all the provinces of King Xerxes to attack those determined to destroy them. No one could stand against them, because the people of all the other nationalities were afraid of them. And all the nobles of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and the king's administrators helped the Jews, because fear of Mordecai had seized them. Mordecai was prominent in the palace. His reputation spread throughout the provinces, and he became more and more powerful. The Jews struck down all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and they did what they pleased to those who hated them. In the citadel of Judah, the Jews killed and destroyed five hundred men. They also killed Parshandatha, Dalphon, Aspatha, Poratha, Adalia, Eridatha, Parmashta, Erisai, Eridai, and Vizatha the ten sons of Haman, son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. The number of those killed in the citadel of Susa was reported to the king that same day. The king said to Queen Esther, The Jews have killed and destroyed five hundred men and the ten sons of Haman in the citadel of Susa. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? It will also be granted. If it pleases the king, Esther answered, give the Jews in Susa permission to carry out this day's edict tomorrow also, and let Haman's ten sons be impaled on poles. So the king commanded that this be done. An edict was issued in Susa, and they impaled the ten sons of Haman. The Jews in Susa came together on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, and they put to death in Susa three hundred men, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000 of them, but did not lay their hands on the plunder. This happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. The Jews in Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and 14th, and then on the 15th day they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. That is why rural Jews, those living in villages, observe the fourteenth of the month of Adar as a day of joy and feasting, a day for giving presents to each other. Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the fourteenth and fifteenth day of the month of Adar as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned to joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving of presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, son of Amadatha the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the pure, that is, the lot, for their ruin and destruction. 
But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back onto his own head, and that he and his sons should be impaled on poles. Therefore these days were called Purim, from the word pure. Because of everything written in this letter, and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews took it on themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants, and all who joined them, should without fail observe these two days every year, in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, and in every province, and in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants. So Queen Esther, daughter of Abihail, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter concerning Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews in the 127 provinces of Xerxes' kingdom, words of goodwill and assurance, to establish these days of Purim at their designated times, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had decreed for them, and as they had established for themselves and their descendants in regard to their times of fasting and lamentation. Esther's decree confirmed these regulations about Purim, and it was written down in the records. Esther chapter 10 And King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land and on the islands of the sea. Now all the acts of his power and his might, and the account of the greatness of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus and was great among the Jews, and well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people, and speaking peace to all his countrymen. Beloved, I have a question for you. Do you believe that God orders the events in the lives of people to accomplish his plans? There are some people who believe that once God finished his work of creation, he stepped away, took his hands off, and let events on earth happen on their own. To me, that seems sort of foolish, but that's what some people think. Well, here in Esther, we have an example of how God does orchestrate the events of man for his purposes. The king was unable to sleep on the very night that Haman was plotting to kill Mordecai. So, the king does what many of us do. He decided to read a book, hoping that that'll make him sleepy. Think of it. Ahasuerus is the king of the most powerful kingdom on earth, so he could have done almost anything for a diversion. But he chose to read a book. He orders that a book of remembrances be brought to him. Now, he had a kingdom of 127 provinces, so I can imagine that this book of remembrances probably had several volumes, can't you? But the person who was tasked with bringing the book brought the volume that included the account of how Mordecai saved the king from assassination. And the servant opened the book to the very page with that record. What are the odds? <laughs> well, with God, the odds are 100%. Without God, who knows? There had to have been many remembrances in that book, but on this specific night, this specific page was opened. Coincidence? I think not! Do you believe that God orders events in the lives of people to accomplish His plans? Of course He does. Has God ever intervened in your life like this? Can you remember a time where the course of your life was changed by a seemingly random event? Let me tell you about a time this happened to me. And some of you know this story, but it happened in 2004. 
It was a Saturday in September, I think it was, and I turned on the radio to listen to a talk show about technology. This was normally a call-in type show where people would ask the host for help with their tech devices. But when I turned on the radio, the host was interviewing a guy, and the guy was telling the host about this new thing he invented where radio-type shows would be automatically downloaded to people's computers. And better still, every time a new show was created, the new episodes would just show up on their computers, and then they could transfer the new shows onto their portable MP3 player, and they could listen to them whenever they wanted. Well, this idea sounded pretty interesting to me, having been in radio in the late 1970s and early 1980s. Of course, this new invention was podcasting. The interviewer was Leo Laporte, and the interviewee was Adam Curry, whom I am now happy to not only call my friend, but ecstatic to call my brother in the Lord. But that's a different story. Well, just a week before I heard this interview, I had asked God what more I could do to serve Him. I was already the tech guy at my church and putting in a lot of time in that, but I wanted to do more for God since He had been so very good to me and had blessed me with a wonderful wife, great kids, a business that paid the bills, and a home. I just wanted to be available to do whatever God had for me. I prayed and I asked God what more I could do, and His answer was a very clear, almost audible, proclaim my name. So, was it just a random event when I heard Adam Curry telling Leo Laporte about podcasting? I don't think so. God prompted me to turn on that radio at just the right time. And on November 13, 2004, I uploaded the world's first Christian podcast to my church's website. And within days, I received emails from around the world telling me stories of how God was using my podcast to bring them to Jesus. God was using my little podcast in miraculous ways. But the story doesn't end there. From that first podcast that I called LifeSpring, I created several other podcasts, one of which was the LifeSpring Family Audio Bible. And because of that show, a person asked me to record the entire Douay Rheims Bible. And because of that project, I wrote Webb's Easy Bible Names Pronunciation Guide, which was published in 2012 and has helped many, many people as they study and teach and preach God's Word. And also, because of podcasting, I've got a career doing voiceovers for radio and TV commercials and videos for companies around the world and church videos and so much more, something I never would have dreamed would happen. My life was changed when God orchestrated events on that September Saturday in 2004. Do you believe that God orders events in the lives of people to accomplish His plans? I sure do. Have you seen God's hand in the events of your life? Let me know about it. Tell me. How do you do that? Well, send a boostagram or call the LifeSpring family hotline or go to the comments page or write an email. How do you do any of those things? I'll tell you in a few minutes. Tomorrow will be Psalms Wednesday. We'll close this, the longest book of the Bible, with chapters 149 and 150. And we'll have our last prayer time together. Be sure to have your praise report or prayer request in by 5 o'clock Pacific time today to be included. James Garner came in today with $40 with this note. He said, hello, I was going to wait until later to do this, but my life with four kids and multiple renovations that are ongoing by a team of one, me, tells me that I will not get this done unless I sit down and write this on a break right now. Your podcast is going to get me to complete the one of many New Year's resolutions that I actually stuck with. 
I wanted to get through the Bible by January 1st, and as of next week, I will have done it. Been to church on and off my whole life, but never actually dove into it. So it turns out I pretty much knew all of the information, so I have read more than I thought I had. Only a few surprises came up. So for getting me to my goal, I'm throwing in a few shekels your way. I found value in that. Well, thank you, James. He said, now, since you're giving up the reins, I would request a recommendation. I want to go through it again, but I would not mind going through whole books straight and not jumping around. I would also like a more in-depth analysis and or insight to the readings. If you know of such a thing, I would gladly like to give it a try. Okay, I'll stop reading James' note for just a moment right here to respond. Now, James, you probably won't be surprised by this, but with producing this show for so many years, I really haven't had a chance to listen to other Bible reading podcasts. I know there are many, but I can't personally recommend any specific ones since I've not listened to them. I can't personally vouch for their doctrinal accuracy. I'm sure there's probably some great ones. I just don't have personal experience with them. But on Saturday's closing show, I will have a Christian podcast recommendation. It isn't a Bible reading podcast, but one that I do listen to twice a week. And as soon as I see a new episode in my podcast app, I hit play. I'll tell you more about it this Saturday. Okay, getting back now to James's note. He said, also, the big thing I'm still hung up on is basically the Trinity part. We have one group of people, Jewish, worshiping God, and still go that route, not using the New Testament, and then all the rest using the New Testament. All right, so we need to stop there for a moment, just to be clear. Our Jewish friends are very different in that they reject Jesus as the Messiah. I'm sure you know that. That's why they reject the New Testament. They do have much to teach us in terms of the Old Testament, but because they reject Jesus, we need to very carefully consider their thoughts even about the Old Testament. As an example, one of my favorite people is Dennis Prager, who happens to be a Jew. I've been a fan of Dennis for more than 40 years. And in case you don't know, Dennis has a radio show he's had for decades. Um, that's when I first uh, became aware of him. I used to listen to him on uh, KABC here in the Los Angeles area uh, back when I was on the radio uh, at the end of the 70s and early 80s. In addition to his radio show, he's written books. He has a podcast. Uh, he writes columns in syndicated newspapers around the country, maybe the world. I'm not sure how far his newspaper uh, column is uh, syndicated. But he's a really prolific guy. I love him. He's in the process right now of writing a set of commentaries on the first five books of the Bible. He is a learned, wise man. But when it comes to biblical doctrine, I have heard him say many things that I, as a believer in Christ, cannot agree with. I love him, and I pray that he will one day come to realize that Jesus is the Messiah that the Jewish people have been looking for. Okay, James continues. It is said God, Jesus, and the Spirit are one in the same, but I don't feel God and Jesus are at all the same. I'm speaking in the way that they communicate to people, etc. I don't know if it's coming across the way I'm intending, but hopefully you get what I'm saying. Okay, I'll stop there. Now, James, if I'm understanding you correctly, I think that you're misunderstanding the doctrine of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not one and the same. Each person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each person is distinct from the others with different roles and different functions, while at the same time being one. 
It is a difficult concept to fully grasp as a human, but I hope that helps a little. Uh, they're not the same. They are different. They're distinct. And James, did you hear the Essential series that we did this season? On uh, episode S13E136, I talked at some length about the Trinity. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to that episode, and maybe that'll help you. Also, please feel free to email me with your questions, even after the show's done. I'm not going anywhere, as far as I know. Of course, I don't know what God has planned for me, but I'm planning on being around for a while. And James closes his note with this. Anyway, I enjoyed your show this year. Thanks for doing it, and thanks to No Agenda for hitting me in the mouth when I was open to taking on this challenge. I see some things happening that make me more open to this information than I have been in the past. And he signed, James Garner, not the actor. <laughs> well, thank you, James. God bless you. Um, you have me a little curious about your last sentence, but I'm so happy that you have been part of the LifeSpring family. Thank you. I tell you, I am so grateful for each donation of time, talent, or treasure that the LifeSpring families contributed this year. If you've been listening but have not yet made a donation, now's the time. There are just four episodes left. Whether you're new to the show or you've been here since the beginning, if you have received any value from the daily reading of God's Word, I would truly appreciate your value for value, thank you for the show donation. Your donation now will help me keep the more than 3,000 episodes online at lifespringmedia.com into the future so that you and others will be able to enjoy them. My plan is to keep the website alive for as long as possible, but just like everything else in life, that costs money. Your donation, no matter what the size, will help me to do that. Pray about it, and then go here. LifespringMedia.com slash support. I'll thank you. Those who hear these episodes in the future will thank you, and I believe that God will bless you. I invite your comments and your questions. Send a Boostergram using a modern podcast app from podcastapps.com or call the LifeSpring family hotline at plus one nine five one seven three two eighty five eleven. Or if you have a prayer request or a praise report, go to prayer.lifespringmedia.com by five o'clock today and send it to me so that it can be on the show tomorrow. And if you've got a comment or a question, go to comment.lifespringmedia.com or send an email to me at steve at lifespringmedia.com. There are some people that have been just completely invaluable to me this year. That team is Sister Denise, Michael Hayner, Scott Snyder, Jason Pascal, and Sister Brittany. Jason Pascal did today's show art. Thanks to James Garner for helping to make this episode possible. Thanks for your time, beloved. Shall we meet again tomorrow? Great! Until then, may God bless you richly. I'm Steve Webb. Bye. The LifeSpring Media family of programs are made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Thank you.